Welcome to the Texas Values Report. This is Jonathan Sines, president of Texas Values. Great to be with you on a glorious week in the state of Texas. It's Thanksgiving week. Hey, there's a lot of things to be thankful for. We're going to get into that discussion. Uh, That list is getting long in the state of Texas because every day that the Texas heartbeat law continues to be in effect. We estimate 150 lives are being saved and that number continues to grow. You can see those details at texasheartbeatlaw.com. If you're new to the show, we talk about the issues of faith, family, and freedom in the arenas of the courts, the legislature, and the media. And we're so excited about our guest this week because he is certainly someone who knows a lot about those three arenas and certainly those three subject areas as well. And oftentimes it's at the highest level of some of the work that we do. And so I really want to take an opportunity to get into a lot of detail, have a robust discussion as it relates to these issues, but particularly the pro-life issue. So if you're watching on Facebook, on YouTube, on social media, like it, share it, get it into your groups. Let's get a lot of more people involved in the equation and in the conversation so we can get that exposure and get the benefit of this conversation. We're going to go about 15 minutes or so with Roger Severino, and then I'm going to have some commentary right after that, after we finish our segment. But let me properly introduce our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Roger Severino is the senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, EPPC. He directs their HHS Accountability Project. Before that, he was a part of the Trump administration at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, where he was the director of the Office of Civil Rights. Prior to that, he was with Heritage Foundation and Beckett Fund for Religious Liberty. He has his law degree from Harvard Law School, his master's degree from Carnegie Mellon, and also his undergraduate degree from USC. But one of the things that maybe I like the best about Roger's bio that he included on the end is that he's a Spanish speaker who teaches salsa and swing dance in his spare time. So he's smart and he's got a lot of style to match it. Roger, welcome to the Texas Values Report. Thank you. And I got to add, one of the best dance clubs I've ever been to was in Texas. Uh, You guys know how to two-step. You know how to two-step really well. Well, I appreciate the plug for our great state. There are a lot of of places that you can... uh, mix it up and get on the dance floor in the state of Texas. And so I need to dust off my boots and get out there myself. But one of the reasons that I haven't been to some of those places in a while is because we've been busy in the state of Texas. And so we're going to have a conversation today with Roger Severino, certainly as it relates to law and policy. That's where he's an expert and he's done a substantial amount of work at the highest level. But we're going to talk about this case before the U.S. Supreme Court next week, the Dobbs case, this case out of Mississippi that relates to a pro-life law. But also with that discussion, you got to be talking about what's going on with the Texas heartbeat law. That's something that Roger has written on quite a bit. But let's get really to, to the issue at hand next week. And then we'll, we'll kind of come back to the Texas heartbeat law as, as it relates to this discussion about pro-life issues. But before we do that, Roger, I just, you know, you've worked on a lot of these issues of law and policy for many years um, in some of the work that you've done privately, but also in government roles. And, and so I, 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 you know, I think you're one of probably the most respected voices when it comes to these issues. Uh, when it comes to pro-life, and, and the way things are setting up with the Dobbs case next week on December 1st, with all that's going on in the Texas heartbeat law, boy, there has been so much written and you've been a part of that. I, I can't remember such an active and if I might say optimistic time when it comes to the issue of life. Yes, this is a great time to be pro-life. <clears throat> I am a survivor of Roe v. Wade. I was born after Roe v. Wade uh, was imposed by a activist Supreme Court and it's taken a generation and a half to get to this point of fighting. And I'm so encouraged. I go to the March for Life every year at the number of young people that are really the backbone of the movement 
And now it's all culminating, all of the counseling and sidewalks, all of the efforts at state houses, all of the efforts to get constitutionalist, textualist, originalist judges on the Supreme Court have, have borne the fruit. And I'm very optimistic that, that Roe v. Wade is on its deathbed and it's time to put it away and move on so that we could restore the respect for life and allow the legislatures to actually have the voice of the people be represented in welcoming every child into this world in, in a, a, a context, not of violence, but of respect for life and care. And Texas has led the way on that. Other states have done it as well. And we're going to find out if finally all the efforts will pay off with the Supreme Court putting away Roe v. Wade into the dustbin of history, just like it, it did eventually with the Dred Scott decision and others, Plessy versus Ferguson, we've, we finally are at a point where we see the promised land and we're almost there. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic and hopeful that we're going to get there. Well, look, it's, it's an exciting, it's an important, and I think it's a historic time. If you think about some of the work that's been going on this year, some of the decisions, some of the movement, um, you know, just a lot of the activity and anticipation. And one thing that's being anticipated is the oral argument next week at the U.S. Supreme Court on December 1st. I'm going to be there with my team. We were there about three weeks ago when the Texas heartbeat law was before the U.S. Supreme Court. But I'm telling you, the environment, I think the scene outside the U.S. Supreme Court is kind of probably going to be multiplied by 10, if not 20, from what we saw two or three weeks ago, because that December 1st oral argument date has been on the calendar for quite some time. So people on both sides, if you will, have been gearing up for it. But Roger, you have such a tremendous background as it relates to law and policy. I want to talk about what's going on with the court case and Dobbs and then also connect and why that's relevant to what's happening with the Texas heartbeat law. So if you can set it up for our viewers, essentially you have what is a state law that um, protects innocent human life um, after 15 weeks from the state of Mississippi. And in my understanding too, the way the case is set up, it presents an opportunity for there to be a direct challenge and a review of Roe versus Wade and the other uh, case, Planned Parenthood versus case. Yeah, that, that, that is exactly right. We have not had a direct challenge to Roe v. Wade in quite some time since the Casey decision. And this is saying, can there be a pre-viability prohibition on abortion? And that is the line that Casey drew. Casey actually didn't fully uphold Roe v. Wade. It changed the trimester framework and moved it to a viability point and, and made it difficult for states to put any restrictions on pre-viability abortions. So the states have been trying to move that line to say, okay, we got partial birth abortion at the federal level. It took a, took a long while, but we actually got a ban of one particular procedure at the moment of birth. Now moving it back, can we get it to viability? And now this is going beyond viability, which means it is a direct challenge to the entire Roe and Casey framework. And for the Supreme Court to uphold the Mississippi law, which protects human life um, at the 15-week stage, it has to get rid of Roe and Casey. I see no way around it. it. It is really an all or nothing on this one. I can't see how they could invent a way to create some test of saying 15 weeks is okay, but 14 weeks you cannot prohibit. It would be flatly irrational. And the judges that have been put on the court were put on, especially by Trump most recently, to be originalists. They, they proclaimed originalism as their jurisprudence, which says we look at the original public meaning of the text and the constitution does not say that, that states cannot prohibit abortion. In fact, all the tradition leading up to the Equal Protection Clause in the 14th Amendment, you already had abortion bans all over the country. And 
to have undone that with an activist decision in the 70s, even the liberals say that there was no real logical, consistent legal argument that underpinned Roe v. Wade. So even when liberals attack it in terms of its logic, um, you got to have the justices that have been most recently appointed hold firm and say it has no basis of, in law. It is not just wrong. Roe and Casey are egregiously wrong. And under that circumstance, stare decisis, meaning respecting precedent, gives way to the actual constitution. And once that happens, then a lot of states that had laws on the books that were struck down by Roe will spring back to life. Other states had, had passed what are called trigger laws that say if Roe is struck down, then those laws will come back to life and it will be fought on a state by state basis. Some well, states will have liberal and some states will have much stronger protections for human life. And Texas is one of those states. One of the laws that we passed this past legislative session was a trigger law, a trigger ban, if you will, that we would go back. Back to the, the laws on the books in the state of Texas if Roe versus Wade was overturned. A lot of people may or may not know that Roe versus Wade came out of the state of Texas. And Roger, um, our organization was a part of an amicus brief that was filed at the U.S. Supreme Court on the Dobbs case. A lot's been written about it. And you've also written about the heartbeat law. I want to just take to a, a, a second, the new entity that you're working with, the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Talk to us about your work. You've been writing a lot on these issues, how it connects to these issues and why it's been important for y'all to be involved in this conversation. Yeah, the Ethics and Public Policy Center takes Judeo-Christian principles of time immemorial and applies it to public policy questions of today. So we, we see that faith, the faith perspective should have a seat at the table. Um, and faith and reason, they work together. So we've written a lot on questions of human life because it's an intersection of public policy and faith. And we want to make sure that the best of the American traditions are always recognized. I launched an HHS accountability project at EPPC, which makes sure I came from HHS. I was four years under the Trump administration at civil rights, making sure that it, it really is the Department of Life, that it respects human life from conception until natural death in all of its public policies. So that's one of the things we do where... Uh, uncovering the bad and highlighting the good. And it's not just HHS, but on issues of healthcare more generally. Abortion is not healthcare. And that's one point that has to be reminded all the time that abortion is a, the ending of a life intentionally. It's not the pr preservation. Um, the goal of an abortion is to end a life. And we have to be cognizant of that and, and make that clear distinction that healthcare is one thing, abortion is another, and we shouldn't be mixing the two. We're talking with Roger Severino. He's the senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. Their website is eppc.org. He is an attorney, graduate of Harvard Law School. And we've been having a discussion too about this case up before the U.S. Supreme Court, the Dobbs case. This is a case out of Mississippi that does not allow abortions uh, almost in, in uh, very few circumstances after 15 weeks. Uh, my understanding, this is the first case before the the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, really, it was anticipated to be before the heartbeat law kind of snuck in there before in November 1st. But this, um, the first one is, uh, that's had this level of briefing and this level of attention previously scheduled since a case out of Louisiana, both are a part of the Fifth Circuit. That's Mississippi, Louisiana, and Texas. They make up a collection of states that are for federal review are called the Fifth Circuit. And those decisions for those particular states can bind each other at the Fifth Circuit level. And then obviously what happened to the U.S. Supreme Court can be Relevant. But the last time Ruth Bader Ginsburg was on the court, this was a Louisiana case, really was about safety issues that was struck down from the state of Louisiana on pro-life issues. Now we see another Fifth Circuit case. They already heard another Fifth Circuit case a couple of weeks ago, the Texas heartbeat law case. You've been writing a lot on this issue, certainly about as it relates to Dobbs. But I want to shift a little bit about Texas heartbeat because law, because I'm sure there'll be some discussion and um, next week amongst the media, amongst people like ourselves and others, the public, who knows what the justices may say if they may 
may reference the argument, but you've written a lot on it. One thing you've written, you've got a great article, Texas is absolutely genius victory for life. This was just right a day after the Texas heartbeat law went into effect on September 2nd. And I'm just starting to learn how to play chess. So I picked up on one of your quotes. My kids are much better than I am already, which is maybe a good sign. But just from the beginning, um, with victory for life yesterday, this was September 1st, we witnessed true brilliancy and should savor the moment. For those who don't play chess, a brilliancy as defined by the grandmaster is a moment when something astonishing and beautiful and inspiring happens on the chessboard. And I wanted to make a note of some of the things that you talked about in there, where you talked about really a lot of our work has been about what happens in the courts, laws never going into effect. I don't think sometimes people appreciate where we're at as the Texas heartbeat law has been in effect for almost three months. And you mentioned that the concept of private party law enforcement, which is a key aspect of the Texas heartbeat law, is, uh, you know, there's history to it, right? We've got the False Claims Act. You make the, the, the comment and sort of argument that this is about, you know, sort of a common place for whistleblowers. And so um, we saw a really robust oral argument, but what Texas is trying to do with its heartbeat law, even though it might be different than what we've seen before, um, it's got precedent and obviously it can work. Well, it, it, they're in check, right? Right now, that's, that's where we're at. We're not, we're not at a checkmate yet. The checkmate will be the Dobbs case. That's the one that will be directly attacking Roe versus Wade. Uh, what, what the Texas heartbeat law did was allow for a law to come into effect that limited abortion, whereas normally what's called the abortion distortion finds some way to always strike down pro-life laws no matter what. And Justice Scalia took the, the court to task over and over again, because so many times the Supreme Court would bend over backwards and change the law and break the rules and break their own norms in order to protect pro-abortion laws and to strike down pro-life laws. And what Texas did with this heartbeat bill, it found a way that was able to say under existing precedents, this law at least has to be able to come into effect. And then once it comes into effect, the parties could sue. And if they, they claim their rights are being harmed, they could bring it to the judge then and have a defense then. And that's the normal process. This found a way around it. And here's the thing. The court, during oral argument, some members sounded uncomfortable with the fact that Texas found this creative way uh, around what was the, the normal this, uh, way of going against abortion. Was it Sotomayor that said this genius you know, yes. sort of, you know, flippantly or sarcastically or probably grudgingly. Right. But, you know, maybe uh, an element of truth there from her mouth. Yeah, you know, it, it was it, it was creative to find this way. And it made some uncomfortable because they thought it could be expanded to other areas. But here's the thing. If you strike down Roe v. Wade, this all goes away. There is no need to find a creative way to protect human life. If Dobbs goes the right way and you strike down Roe, then the states will just pass the standard type of laws that would uh, protect human life. And you mentioned already that Texas has a trigger law. So the heartbeat bill and, and its mechanisms, its unique way of approaching it would, would just go away. And this is an artifact of the court's own doing. If the court didn't bend over backwards to break the rules, then you wouldn't have states trying to find ways around it. So let's just get the court out of this business get and 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 it's all action and reaction and counter reaction and, and the court does something what they think is clever to to strike down uh, pro life laws then you're going to have states doing something clever on the other side it's well, just get out of this and go back to letting the people control their own destinies when it comes to uh, passing their own pro life laws we're talking with Roger Severino. He's an attorney and the senior fellow in, um, at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, EPPC. You can find them at EPPC.org. On Twitter, you can find Roger at Roger Severino 
underscore is his Twitter handle. And speaking of people, you know, bending over backwards and taking extreme actions, you got a great article you wrote a few about a month or so ago about the Department of Justice in the efforts that they have undertaken to really misstate how the Texas heartbeat law case works. But a lot of this is being set up, Roger, uh, because of the change in dynamics and membership to some degree at the U.S. Supreme Court, right? The, the nominees from President Trump, particularly the fact of that seat of Ruth Bader Ginsburg being filled, if you will, by Amy Coney Barrett. You could you have five, if not six, depending on you know how people want to do the math of votes uh, to potentially overturn Roe versus Wade or some of these pro-life cases go a little bit differently. We saw a robust discussion two or three weeks ago, but we didn't really get into a lot of that Roe versus Wade stuff discussion under the Texas heartbeat law case, because a lot of that was procedural. I think we can get a victory on those cases without Roe versus Wade being overturned. But you might see that happen. And certainly, uh, to your point, that would have to happen to have a victory uh, in the Dobbs case. But that makeup of the U.S. Supreme Court is very important to the place we find ourselves on these issues of life. Yeah. And what everyone thinks about the, the way Texas got the heartbeat bill through, hearts are beating now that would not have been beating had, not that, had that law not come into effect. And, and that gives us a, a test run as to what a post-Roe v. Wade world looks like. And I think that'll be very helpful to the Supreme Court and including its newest members to see this is what it looks like. If somebody wants an abortion that's later term than after a, a, a heartbeat is detected in a child, they could go to another state and, and, and get it. And that's what's happening in Texas. And those that stay, the, the world has not ended. And the protection of human life is an interest that has to be taken into account. There are, there are children alive today that would not be. How could, how could the court just ignore that? And I, and I hope they don't ignore that when it comes to if they go into the weighing of interests, which, of course, the first question should be, what does the law say? What, what is the law? But unfortunately, the court has been going often to the weighing of interest. And if they're going to weigh interests, then definitely weigh the interests of the innocent human life that is being protected now. And it's also, you got to remember, Texas passed uh, a, a lot of pro-life legislation as a companion to the heartbeat bill to increase funding for adoption, $100 million worth to support mothers in crisis pregnancy. So this is part of the post Roe v. Wade world that mothers are given an actual choice to keep the child so they don't feel so much pressure that they have to go to another state if they want to get an abortion, that they could stay and, and they will be valued and, and protected, not only their children in law, but their roles as mothers, or if they want to um, give up their children for adoptions, that their children will have loving homes at the other end of it. And that, that would be the steady state after Roe v. Wade gets struck down. Well, there's no, that, you're absolutely right. We're talking with Roger, Roger Severino. He is the senior, senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center, an attorney himself. And there are close to 400 nonprofit entities in the state of Texas that are doing that work to serve mothers, to serve those babies in the womb. And once they're outside of the womb, as you mentioned, the Alternatives to Abortion Fund, $100 million funded for uh, two years for the legislative cycle, the budget cycle for the state of Texas. I know other states are doing similar work. Um, I think there are close to 3,000 pregnancy centers across the, the country and probably many more that are doing similar work that we're not aware of in charitable ways. And that is an environment that's, you know, that's our country, our state preparing in for many years doing that work to serve these women and babies. As I, as I like to recall and, and mention, as I was taught in law school, the law is a teacher. 
what we say in our law says something about where we are as a society and how we view human life. And we also see these cultural movements a lot of times too, societal movements that lead up to significant Supreme Court decisions and sometimes reversals of what were considered precedents for many years or decades before. And so I think we're seeing that environment on the life movement. We're seeing a lot of momentum, if you will. Look, I'm going to be there next week in D.C. I'm looking forward to being in that environment. As an attorney, it always gets me sort of excited. But just to be in this moment right now that I think is historic, where Texas has a role, Mississippi, and I think all of us that care about the life issue, have a role to play and have something important to say in a place of value. And, and I know that's uh, certainly the case with you, Roger. I really appreciate the work you've been doing, how you've been writing about some of these issues and providing a lot of insight and detail and really understanding for folks that are looking for good information on this issue. And we'll hope that you'll continue to do it. Thank you very much for having me. Well, Roger Severino has been our guest today on the Texas Values Report. Thanks, Roger. Look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, so I could spend probably two or three segments uh, talking with Roger. It's, it's great to have somebody, you know, similar generation, similar um, interest in some of these type of values and really sensing the, the history, the historic, the, the importance of the place that we're in. And you have a place in this role as well. You have a place in this time as well. And look, you may want to volunteer for some of our work. We're looking for people to step up and help us with some of the work we're doing. Maybe you want to come to D.C. and be with us on the steps of the Supreme Court on December 1st. We're going to be there bright and early on Wednesday morning. That's a week from tomorrow if you're watching this live. And, and I'm excited about it because on December 1st, they're going to be hearing oral arguments. Now, look, in the U.S. Supreme Court on this case out of Mississippi, the Dobbs case, this is uh, the law that does not allow for abortions and protecting us human life after 15 weeks. But you can't get in the courtroom like you used to. You can't even be a member of the public. You They used to have kind of this moving public line. Lawyers could get in that weren't particularly arguing the case. Everything's locked down in D.C. I was there three uh, weeks ago, and it's really just so drastic difference from what you see. It's it's eerily quiet, but the Supreme Court has made it clear. They're not allowing anyone in the courtroom except for the main lawyers that are arguing the cases. So all of us essentially are going to be outside on the court steps, and sometimes they will um, have the audio playing out there so you can hear what's happening inside the courtroom, which is just really interesting to see all that kind of – the environment is just – Boy, it's um, you know, it's uniquely American too. I I'll have to tell you. I mean, I've spent some time in other countries. We see reports at times. You're really, and sometimes it does get tense. But it wasn't like that three weeks ago. I imagine things are going to be a little bit more intense uh, next week because you're just going to have more people there. But the more that we can respect the differences, but have our, have our voice heard and be there, um, demonstrating, if you will, how important these issues are. And this is an issue of life and death. There's no question when you talk about the issue of abortion. And, and that's the thing. An abortion stops a beating heart. That's why the heartbeat message, I think, has been so important. It's been so valuable and it's been so relevant to this discussion. It's allowed a lot of people to understand it. If you see value in the work that we do, make a tax deductible donation today at txvalues.org. You can help us continue to do the work we do on issues of life and other matters as well. And look, because we're in Thanksgiving week. Right. I really want to say how thankful we are for your continued support, for your donations. You know, we're our budget's about one point seven million. We've got 11 different people that are officially a part of our team. There are other people that volunteer their time and do great things. We've got our board that serves in a very uh, board members that serve in very critical roles for us. 
But consider making that tax-deductible donation. Texas Values is a 501c3 nonprofit organization, so your donations are tax-deductible. As I was mentioning earlier, all right, we had a brief that we had submitted before the U.S. Supreme Court uh, on behalf of Texas Values and 20 or so other groups like us that support the issue of life. Um, we're gonna, we were there three weeks ago at the U.S. Supreme Court. We had, I don't know, um, two dozen media interviews that we were a part of or media articles that were a part of our work from the U.S. Supreme Court. That's how we get the message out. That's how we help more people understand what is the heartbeat law about? What is the pro-life issue about? What's really going on in the court? I left the, the courthouse and quickly looked up at some cable television and i saw so much misinformation about the texas heartbeat law and the the pro-life issue um, altogether so our ability to have that voice as i talk a lot about proverbs eighteen seventeen tells us he who presents his case first seems right until someone steps forth to challenge him that's what we try to do every day and part of that is by being involved in media articles getting mentioned getting our quotes out we were quoted yesterday um, and Monday as well, when we had a statement that we released on the fact that the U.S. Supreme Court was expected to make a ruling on the Texas heartbeat law yesterday. A lot of people were waiting. There were media outside the courtroom and all kinds of anticipation didn't happen. That means the heartbeat law is, I think, at day 79 or 80 of being in effect. We estimate about 150 lives saved every day because they're not performing those abortions because the law is in effect. Um, over 12,000 potentially that have been saved since September 1st. That's what you're helping us do. Your support, your donations are saving lives. And we're going to continue to need more of it. Um, I, I got a notice on my door recently from a process server that, can, you know, it, it certainly appeared someone may be looking to have a lawsuit against me. And, you know, they're doing that to other pro-lifers. They want to shut us down. They want people want to silence our voice. They want us to be afraid. We will not be afraid. We know how important it is to be involved in this work, and it's so important for you to be involved in it as well. So please consider making a tax-deductible donation today at txvalues.org, and you can help us protect faith, family, and freedom in Texas. And we'll talk to you next week on the Texas Values Report. Have a great Thanksgiving.